Today's membership Sunday, um, and we're talking about uh, what that actually is a little bit. We're going to look at the, through the scriptures uh, a little bit and just understand what it means to be a part of the church and uh, why do we do this whole thing of coming together? What's the whole point of it? And uh, why do we take in members? You know, membership is a weird thing in our day and age. Uh, a very interesting thing. You know, institution in general is something that is kind of crumbling all around us. We see it when it comes to family and when it comes to marriage, the most basic institutions, but we see it of all sorts of organizations all throughout our world where there's a lot of crumbling. And we say, where's commitment these days? And how are things going to uh, be sustained if we don't have a greater level of commitment and all of that? In the middle of that, obviously, um, you know, the, the church the church and what it means to actually be functional as a body of Christ is a big question for us. And I think for many people, the idea of church membership has been something that's been a question in their mind at times. Like, why do I do that? Like, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, right? So I'm a part of the church. So what's this whole other thing? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit and just how the scriptures talk about how we relate to each other and what does it mean to be members of the body of Christ. So I'm going to look at uh, three texts with us this morning and kind of do a quick little study of those three texts and then going to make some points and move into a message, okay? And then at the end of that, we're inviting new members in. And we had eight new members come in in the first service um, and we're having nine new members come in in, in this service. Um, and we're just pumped about people uh, joining and covenanting with, uh, together with this church. So we're, we're really excited about uh, being connected with others that way. So um, the first text, uh, we'll look at the text, and then we'll have another word of prayer, um, and then a few minutes after that of teaching. The, um, the first text is in Hebrews 10, and this is why I think that it was so um, awesome how that uh, how that song connected, because if you look down, we're, we're going to be in chapter 10, verse 19 to 25, and I just want you to look all the way down in, at the end of, cha- uh, of, of that text in, in verse 25, where it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the idea of like that return of like, he is coming after his bride, uh, Anybody old enough in this service to remember a, a movie called The Last of the Mohicans? There's this iconic line from Last of the Mohicans. And he says, I will find you. Remember that? Everybody's like, no, sinner, watching. Um, and it's this idea that he's sending her off, but he's like, I'm going to find you. I, I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone. I will find you. And that guy just, that just began. I think every Oscar he ever won since then came from that line. You know, uh, it melted hearts. And the, the idea was he, was, he loved this woman and, and he had to, to do something, but he was going to come and get her. And this is what Jesus says to his bride. He says, I'm going to return and I'm going to get you and I'm going to find you and I'm going to bring you back to the house that I've made for you. And we are going to live together, and it's going to be awesome, you know? And that's, that's his heart for his bride. And it says that as you sense the day approaching, that there's, a, there's a, a, an intensity and a need for the church to gather and to be present with each other. Well, that's, I just skipped to the end of the text, but it starts in verse 19. And it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, 
Uh, it, there are things in the Old Testament that are holy things, and there are things that are most holy things. And the difference is, if there's a holy thing and you touch it, do you know what happens to that holy thing? It, it's no longer holy because I'm a sinner and I touched it. I just defiled it. So we have to cleanse it and we have to wash it. However, there are things that are most holy. And if I touch the most holy thing, do you know what happens to me? Yeah, it cleanses me, which means I die. You know, it makes me holy, which means that it, the way that it does that is it takes anything that's unholy and it annihilates it, you know? So the most holy thing, if I touch the Ark of the Covenant, gone, because it's sanctifying, it's cleansing, it's purifying, and you can't defile it because it purifies everything it touches. In this holy place that it's talking about is behind the veil, and it says you have the freedom to enter into the holy place, which is where the most holy things are. And what would happen if you went into the holy place? Death, right? Unless you were the high priest at a certain time and you were spreading blood. That was it. And so what it's saying here is we have full, we have full access into the holy place, into the holy of holies, into the most holy. What is it that made that place the most holy, the holy of holies? The presence of God. Thank you. It's where the presence of God existed. That's what made it most holy. In the New Testament, we see the presence of God revealed to us again. How is it revealed to us? What's that? So in the second thing in the New Testament we see as the presence of God is at Pentecost when we see the Holy Spirit come in fire. Prior to that, there's one other revelation. Jesus, the person of Jesus, who is the, the full revelation of Christ, then he says he's leaving and he will send one to us. And so we see the presence of God come through Pentecost. And what it's saying is, is we have the capacity to engage with the most holy. And, and what happens is you see this, where you see an unclean leper and you see Jesus touch him. And instead of that defiling Jesus, God, instead it heals the leper. And we are sinners, and when we are able to come into the presence of God, what it does is it changes us. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we behold face to face the glory of God, and when we do, we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So as we engage God, he changes us. That's what happens, but he engages us first, and we'll get to that. So that's what it's calling us to as the church. It's calling us to enter in. So it says, since we can, then verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, as he was torn apart on our behalf, atoning for us. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is Jesus with his atoning blood, then, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and with our bodies washed in the pure water. No doubt, no worry, no concern, full assurance, engaging the presence of God. That we have individually, we have access to a relationship with our Creator, our Eternal Father, and we are to engage that with bold faith, with bold faith. Not tacitly, not distantly, not wondering if I'm okay and if that thing I did last night now messes that up. Or None of that. None of it. God has made a way through the blood of Jesus and my job in life is to enter in. To receive that and to enter in, okay? So that's what it calls us to do. 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So we hold fast to the confession that he is Christ. And we remember when Peter made that confession, you are Christ, son of the living God. He says, upon that confession, upon that, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. For he who promised is faithful. This has nothing to do with you. It's all about he who promised. So God is faithful, so enter in, okay? And then verse 24, and let us consider then, since we can enter in all the time and we can have this living engagement with God, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And this is what he's saying. He's made the way for us to connect with him. We have a tendency in our lives to not fully engage, to not fully connect. We need one another to help us engage, to help us go behind the veil and engage God. And what he's calling us to is he says, as Jesus is coming closer, as he's wanting to bring his bride home, meet more, get together more, encourage each other more, stoke the fire more, stir one another up more, take this word of God and reveal it to each other more and more, all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, next text. We're going to turn to, uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll look at uh, verse 12. And so now it's saying, as we gather as a church, what does this look like? In verse 12, it says, we ask you, brothers. What kind of word is brothers? What kind of relationship is that? Family. Okay, so this is, he's talking in terms of a family. We ask you, brothers. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In a family, what do you call the authority over you? Parents. So this is, in essence, like the fifth commandment, you know. After he's told us how to honor God, then he tells us how to work in human relationships. And what's the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. So be good to those who are over you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then he talks about how we relate to each other, and he says, be at peace among yourselves. Now he starts to describe how it looks like in verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. If somebody's sitting around not doing anything, let them know. Get off your tail and get moving, okay? That's a command in the scripture. So if you see someone who's not doing anything and they're your brother or sister in Christ, you got to say, step it up. Step it up. You can't actually have a living, dynamic, covenantal relationship with God in the church unless you engage. Step it up. Encourage the faint-hearted, those who are weak among us, who are hurting, who are faint, who are like really feeling exhausted. Encourage them when you see someone exhausted. Help the weak, those who have a hard time making anything work in their life. Help them. Get next to them. Help them. And then be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Any parents in the room, this sounds like all the stuff you say to your kids, right? Encourage each other, help each other out. You're on the same team, you're on the same squad. Don't just hurt the one who's down, be on their side. And, you know, as kids, of course, it's like we see our brother or sister down and we're like, bam! You know, like we just have that tendency within us to kind of be in competition. And yet what this is saying is we're all in it together. And if we want to engage the presence of God, we need to encourage one another and help each other out. Why? Verse 16 tells us, it says, because there's, a, there's an ability here to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. And for some of us, it's like, seriously, I have to pray without ceasing? Do you realize how unappealing that sounds? I'm like, I got to pray more. 
you know, but if you've ever had that encounter in worship or that moment in prayer or that moment when you're reading the scriptures and Christ is alive and he's touched your heart, that moment when you've encountered God, that's what this is talking about. It's talking about getting into the Holy of Holies and living in that dynamic presence of God. When you see, when Hollywood gives us all the stuff about what it means to be like, finally find the love of your life, the romance of your life, and there's this big moment where it's like, ah, and you know, they're together or whatever. That's that moment of like, we're in the presence of one another and we're drawn to each other. But what this is saying is far deeper than any of that. The deepest yearning of my spirit was designed to be satisfied in God. And we are called to live in that presence with him, rejoicing always, praying, communicating with God without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what he designed us for in Christ Jesus. Okay, so then um, then in order for that to be the case for us, verse 19 says this is in all of that stuff and the way we relate to each other, verse 19 says, do not quench the spirit. So God wants to flow among us, helping us to draw close to him. Don't quench that. Don't quench it. And here's how. Do not despise prophecies. You know what that means? That means that when the fortune teller comes in here and tells me what's about to happen, I need to not despise. No. Prophecy, remember in Second Corinthians, or in uh, First Corinthians chapter 12, when it was talking about the spiritual gifts, and it was talking about the gift of tongues and how in the, in the um, church in Corinth, they were all about the sensationalism. So they were just like, whoever could bring out the crazier thing, like that was what they wanted to do. And he was like, you know what? If you spoke in tongues all day, it's not really going to edify the body unless someone knows what you're saying because it does, we don't know how to encourage one another with that. He's like, however, the gift of prophecy, that's something worth seeking. And what he's talking about is when you take the truth of the word of God and you hold it up in, so, in front of someone's face and you say, you want to know God? You got to get in alignment. What did the prophets always do all across the Old Testament? They said, here's the word of God. Get in line or get lost. You know, that's kind of how it worked. And what he's saying is, is in the body of Christ, we're here to help one another know Christ. And we're committed to each other, encouraging one another and all of that. But if we want the Spirit to keep flowing among us, and if we want to engage with God, then we can't despise the prophecies. Which means when one of my brothers or sisters comes up to me and says, Word of God says this, but your life looks like this. And I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to judge you or anything like that. I just want to help you. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. Don't let the pride hurt me. Don't despise it. But test everything. So go back to the Word of God and search the Word of God and ask the Lord. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So the most holy God, when he touches you, may he purify you completely. And may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming and we're gathering together to purify one another because we want to be a bride that has worked out that salvation that he gave us through his atonement. We want to live in the reality of that. So as Christ comes, he's coming to a bride who's just ready to receive him, you know, who has taken that seed of salvation and it's worked itself out among us. And so he says then, verse 24, the big promise is that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. 
Because I heard all that, and I'm like, whoa, that's heavy, and how are we going to do all that? And then it's like, he's got it. And then we're like, okay, never mind then. I'm just going to go do whatever I want. <laughs> no, that's not what it means. What it means is as I engage with, with you and as you engage with me and as we engage together, it doesn't have to be dependent on our, our work. We can engage something much bigger than we're capable of because he who called us is faithful, and he will do it. But we do have to flow with him. We have to trust him, and we have to move with him. Okay, one more text. Ephesians chapter 4 is, Ephesians chapter 4 may be the like definitional picture of the church all across the pages of scripture. When Keith Yoder here was here a couple weeks ago talking about those five ministry gifts and how they relate, that was out of Ephesians 4. Whenever you hear me talking about the ligaments in the body of Christ binding each other together, the relationships that bind one part of the body to the other into Christ, that's all in Ephesians 4. But after that whole picture, he tells us how to relate to one another. This is it, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, so we're not living the way the world is living and thinking the way the world's thinking, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, neighbor isn't talking about the guy who lives next to me. This whole uh, book of Ephesians is written in the context of church and how to be the church together. So it's talking about like, Brad is my neighbor because he's part of the church with me. So it says that what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to speak the truth right? That whole thing about don't despise the prophecy and encourage the idol and, and, and all of that. When we speak to one another and encourage one another in toward Christ, part of the responsibility to be the ligaments of the body of Christ, to be the parts of the body, is that we have to speak the truth. That means we actually have to talk to each other. That means we can't actually be the church and do the thing without actually having communication with each other. If, you only, if we only show up at a service and then bounce and don't talk to each other, then we can't speak the truth to each other. You know, the more that we engage in the body of Christ, the more we actually have to learn to be in conversation. Speak the truth to his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. That means we're, we're family. We're members of one another, and it requires that we interact together, okay? So this is what it says. How's that work out? If you ever had a brother or a sister... You know exactly what this text is talking about right here. It says, be angry and sin not. See, this is a command, actually. Be angry. Are you ever supposed to be angry? I hope so, because the scripture just told me to. It said, be angry. Why am I supposed to be angry? Am I supposed to be angry because you did something mean to me? Well, I'm going to naturally be angry. But why am I supposed to be angry? Because there's stuff that exists that isn't supposed to exist. And that should make me mad. When I see some guy going into a school and shooting up a bunch of kids, I should be angry. When I see human trafficking over in the East or here or wherever, I should be angry. When I see that there's people who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ and they haven't heard about it yet, it should make me angry. When I look at my brother or sister and they are walking away from the Lord and doing things they're not supposed to, it should make me angry. I should be upset. I shouldn't sin, but I should be angry. I should be angry. Please feel free to be angry about the things that God is angry about. I encourage you to be angry about what God is angry about. Sometimes we think that like God's only got the like the, the uppers, you know? Not the like the heavy stuff, but God gets angry. God never changes. And you see all across the pages of Scripture from cover to cover, there are moments when he's angry. I mean, Jesus, of course, we always talk about him in the, in the temple and all of that. But, I mean, Jesus at the end of days, whoo, he's cleansing, most holy, bringing it. 
God, and that we see all the way through the Old Testament, fierce anger in sanctification and cleansing. And this is what it's saying, is he puts his agent inside of us, the Holy Spirit, to cleanse one another, to bring cleansing. And the way that happens is be angry, but sin not. Be angry and sin not. Why? Because we're speaking the truth in love. This is what's happening. So be angry and do not sin. And then it says, how do you manage that? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How often does the sun go down? Seriously, you don't know that? <laughs> wow. We gotta, all right, we've got to rewind here. We've got to get to some basics. Um, the sun goes down every day. And that means that when I get angry, I should not let the sun go down while I'm still angry. That by the end of this day, I should have it resolved. Which means that the body of Christ should be interacting to some degree on a daily basis, not just on a weekly basis. Okay, And the pattern of Scripture is that we do life together, daily life together. That's the pattern of the New Testament church. And if we're not doing that, then it's very easy for stuff to linger and for, for six days a week for the enemy to get in there and do all sorts of stuff. And then we're trying to do all the cleansing and a service on Sunday. That's why the body is a community of people who interact with one another, who are a mirror, who encourage one another and all of that. So as we become a member of the church, and we're not just attending a church, but as we become a member, what it means is I'm opening my up to the place where I might get angry and you might get angry, but we're not going to sin because we're not going to let the sun go down on our wrath. We are going to figure this out by the end of the day. Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil because that's where he gets his opportunities when I get angry, but I don't resolve it. So we got to get this figured out. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need, with anyone in need, which means each one of us has a job to do. We all have responsibility. Everyone's got to take responsibility. Don't just steal on what everyone else is doing. You've got to carry your own stuff too, right? And we all have something to offer. So then let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up uh, and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There it is again. So when I start talking bad out of my anger about my brother or sister and I don't engage them appropriately and directly, then I am grieving the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit wants to use us to encourage one another. And it says, by him you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here it comes again. The day that's coming. The day that's coming. The day that's coming. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, this last verse, we have, a, we have a little song that we made up in our house that we sing this verse right here. And it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Because we think that that defines how God sees his family. He's talking about how his family interacts. And so he, if that's the way he wants his family, that's the way we want our family. So we made up this little jingle together that we sing, and it's all goofy and everything. But when things get tense, guess what we start singing? You know? And it's like, oh, are we seriously singing that song right now? You know, and you know, every now and then, I'll find I'm a little frustrated, and Jen will be over there brushing her teeth or something, and I hear a hum. And I'm like, seriously? And she's like, what? I'm like, do you know what song you're humming? No. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> but she doesn't. God, that's the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let him move. Speaking of, of that, um, about 18 years ago, I was um, sitting in a, in a restaurant called Johnny Rockets in Chicago. Race Street. Race Street in Chicago. And um, I was sitting across the table from this girl. And... Um, we had gone out with some friends of 
week or so before, and we learned ballroom dancing. It was a lesson, ballroom dancing lessons. We had a spectacular time. And, and the whole time I was ballroom dancing, I was like, I can't believe I'm dancing with this girl right now. This is really weird. Um, and uh, then she called me and said, hey, can uh, we have a conversation at some point? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know where this is going. I have a feeling she's going to tell me I don't want you to get the wrong impression here. And I was like, oh, yeah. So we were sitting across the table from each other at Johnny Rockets, and, um, and she said, I just want to be clear about some stuff. And I'm kind of feeling some things, and I want to know where you're at in, in this relationship. And so I shared my feelings. She shared, and I was like, we're actually on the same page. Are you kidding me? Like, she's into me? That's awesome, you know? And um, so at that point, then, we realized that we, uh, we both had interest in each other and formed a dating relationship. And the dating relationship, of course, the, the idea is, is that we're kind of exclusive now, you know? So I'm not pursuing other relationships at this point. It does, it's not an eternal commitment. If this thing comes to an end, you know, and we pursue other relationships, that is what it is. But right now we're dating, so we're focusing on this one. And I was pretty pumped about that. It took a long time to get that all figured out and a lot of ups and downs. Um, and that was four years of kind of dating and trying to figure that out. At the end of that, there was a day um, where I was down by the Susquehanna River with this girl, and we were uh, right under this, like, little waterfall area. And for the first time, I told her that I loved her. I had never told her I loved her before because I was afraid of saying it unless I meant it. And I told her I loved her, and I put a ring on her finger and asked her if she would marry me. Before that, um, I, I went to her parents' house and sat there and played, like, an eternal game of Scrabble or something. How long was that? My father-in-law's here today. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how long that was. And then finally worked up the courage to say, hey, can I marry Jen? <laughs> you know? and, um, and a few weeks later, uh, we were sitting under this waterfall, and I said to her, I said, you know, will you marry me? And our relationship changed again because now we were saying that our intention from here is to get to a place where we're covenantal in marriage and where now we're saying we'll never pursue anyone else until death do us part. And that was a total game changer. And, um, and then um, we, six months later, we're at a Calvary Monument Church in Lancaster County on a beautiful day on October 21st. And there was people all around us in this place. And we turned to each other and we spoke vows to one another. And it said, officially, covenantally, we are together. And now there is nothing between you and me. We are one. And now it's all access. All access. And so we have to speak the truth. And it has to be in love. And if we have a problem, we have to work it out. Because we can't go anywhere else to get it figured out. Just here. That's called a covenant. Each one of those moments is called a defining the relationship moment, a DTR. That's what we called them at Moody, DTRs, defining the relationship. Each one of those is a defining relationship. The last one is a covenant. It means that we are in this, and it's only us in this, and we're in it to the end, whatever it takes. Covenant. Okay. When, it, when we are called to become a member of the body of Christ, there's a, there's a defining of the relationship that's going on. What the membership whole thing is, is a DTR. We're defining the relationship. Let's get clear about how we relate to each other and where we stand in relationship with each other. 
And there's all sorts of ways that, that membership is defined in our society right now. You know, I, when I go to sign in to Netflix, it asks me what my member ID is for Netflix. I'm a member of Netflix. You know what I do for Netflix? I give it like seven bucks a month or something. What does Netflix do for me? Um, it gives me movies to watch, which I end up never watching, you know, because I don't have any time for it. But they, I, so I give them seven bucks. They give me movies, and I'm a member of Netflix. So I'm a, I'm a part of the Netflix community, you know. Woohoo! What does that mean? It means nothing, really, other than I can watch movies, which I... Back in the day, there was Blockbuster, and then it was like, you know, anyway. Another picture of membership. Let's take a step forward, a step of a little more commitment in defining a relationship of membership. And let's talk about, my kids are uh, at East Coventry Elementary School, okay? Right there. There. Um, There, yeah, okay. Um, In our backyard. And there's this thing attached to the East Coventry Elementary School with a bunch of parents who are trying to help support how the church does that. You know what that's called? PTA. Okay? PTA is volunteer organization. If you want to be a member of the volunteer organization, the PTA, or if you're a member of any other volunteer organization, what does it mean to be a member of that? It means we come together to help serve in this way. So that, that institution, what it exists for is for to do something. What Netflix exists for is to provide something for me. It's an exchange of goods. So what do I get from Netflix is the question about that that relationship. I'm a member of Netflix, and that means I get stuff. When it comes to PTA, if I'm a member of the PTA, it means that we do stuff. So what are we doing is the core of it. I want to give you one more picture. The other day, we were driving down to uh, our in-law's place, our, uh, our, my father-in-law's place, and as our, on our way down there, we were um, passing this one farm. And when I passed the farm, I saw these kids, and they had to be, um, there was a bunch of kids, and almost all the kids were younger than my kids. So they were younger than eight or, or ten, you know, and they're, and they're running around this farm not playing. They are working hard, sweating. They're still laughing, some of them. They're working hard, these Amish kids. One of them had a team of mules in front of them, okay? And I was like, are you kidding me? I think that kid's younger than Evan. He's got a whole team of mules in front of him. I'm like, how can you even hold the reins, you know? And uh, I'm watching them, and I'm looking, and they're doing stuff. There's no question. But what are they members of? A family. They're not members of a farm. That's like the PTA. This is what we do. But they're members of a family. And at Netflix, it's about what I get. And at the PTA, it's about what we do. But what is family about? It's about who we are. That's what it is. And a covenant is about who we are. It defines who I am. When I made my covenant with Jen, it changed the definition of who I am. A man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. It changed my identity. It changed the core of who I am. Because I could no longer see myself as my own, I had to see myself as covenantally connected with her. And when it comes to being a family, this is what happens. When someone joins a family who wasn't a part of the family, what do we call that? Adoption. What does Jesus say that he did for us in Romans 8? Adopted us. Okay? Changed our identity. You were outside the family. You are now 
part of this family. Your identity has changed. A covenant, a covenantal relationship is about who I am. It defines in my mind, and it should define in my heart, and it really should define in my hands and in my life how I live because it's all talking about who I am, okay? And so when it comes to being members of one another, this is all a picture of, of membership, of we are being called into the family of God. When it comes to the character of God, his ability to reveal himself, to replicate himself, to multiply himself, to procreate his character in others, his central characteristic is what? Love. What does it require to show love? What, what is the venue in which love is transferred? Relationships. So, if I'm going to show love to Ryan or to Kristen, we're going to have a relationship here. And the church is made up of relationships. Families are made up of relationships. Marriages are made up of relationships. And the church is made up of relationships. And we, in fact, are the church. So, what defines our identity of who we are and how do we live within that identity is clearly portrayed through the relationships. Now, when we step into the defining of that covenant, there's this moment. And in the New Testament, this is how this works. There was these people who they heard on Pentecost, the birth of the church. They heard at Pentecost the truth that Peter proclaimed to them through the Holy Spirit. And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and they said, what do we need to do? And Peter responded to them, you must repent and be baptized, thank you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And God will be with you. And this promise is to you and your children and your children's children and to generations in front of you and to people far off that this is a covenant that he's making with you. That when you hear the news and that good news and you respond to that good news and then you give yourself to him, the way you declare your side of the covenant is going under the waters of baptism and saying who I was is gone or in, in our case, we did it forward. Who I was was gone, and now who I am is I'm a member of the body of Christ. My core identity has changed. There's been a shift in my spiritual DNA. I am now different. I've been made different. I am a different person. I have been resurrected with Christ now through baptism. That's my side of the covenant. That's how I express my side of the covenant. That's me saying, I want to be faithful to you till death do us part. And when the New Testament church, that meant that was true of Christ, but it was also true of the family of God. As soon as they did that, 3,000 were added to their number that day. Guess what the next verse says? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. They met in each other's homes and they broke bread together. And, and so instantly the reaction is, is how they engage in the relationships with each other. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then you also love your neighbor as yourself. And it takes that kind of relationship. So the baptism was a baptism into his death. But that resurrection, when it comes out, it's into the body of Christ, which is into the community. However, that's a little bit tricky in our day and age because what happens is, is someone um, accepts Christ as their personal savior when they're living in Arkansas. And they get baptized. And everyone says, oh, okay, now you're a part of the body of Christ and you're with us and we meet together and we hang out and everything. But then they move to San Diego, you know? And then what do you do in front of your church? How do you, uh, you know, express that again? Do you get, is the, is the covenant, the, the kind of marriage covenant that you have with someone or, or the family adoption, whatever, this is, the, this is the family covenant 
for the local body. And you don't get baptized again, so we do this thing called church membership, where you say, I'm with you. We're in. We're in this together. I've already given my life to Jesus, but now that I'm here with you, we're a family, and I'm engaging with this part of the family here, this manifestation of the local family. And so that's where the whole church membership thing comes in, and that's why we engage. Now, here's the thing, is that when we engage in a, in a, in a covenantal relationship, here's the fear, and the fear is getting worse and worse right now. And just hang in with me for, for just a couple minutes. We're about to wrap up. But this is the fear, is that if you've been a part of an institution or an organization that's a volunteer organization, you know that in our day and age, all volunteer organizations are struggling because we're not in a, we're not in a place where people have a whole lot of time anymore and we're not in a place where everyone's overextended, everyone's overcommitted, and people are very self-interested and want a whole lot of personal things for themselves. So the whole idea of having a bunch of volunteers engage in order to keep things going, that struggles in every institution on earth, right? Well, in the Western Hemisphere, for sure, and then in America, for sure, okay? That every one of them struggles. And so there's that feeling of if I engage and if I help out, I'm going to be left with the bag because no one else is going to step in and help out. So I'm going to have to carry all this weight. And some of you are like, yep, been there. You know, I understand how that is. But remember, we're not a PTA. We're not a volunteer organization. Being the church, this isn't about what we do. This is about who we are. And this isn't about, do I commit to a church and check my, punch the clock and do what I need to do in order to feel okay with the Lord? No, 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 no. This is when I'm baptized into Christ and I come up, I am only alive inside the church, inside of Christ. That's how it works. We're members of one another. So in the same way that I, I don't exist without Jen right now because we're in a covenantal relationship. In the same way, uh, when it comes to the church, if I'm only worried about my own spiritual life, I'm missing a whole thing here because each one of you, your spiritual lives make a big difference in my own life. And when it comes to the churches around us as local churches, we should think the same way about the other local churches around us. Because according to Ephesians 4, there's only one church. And so if we're invested into those other churches, it has a way of boomeranging back to us. And when we invest into one another, it has a way of boomeranging back to us because we're all members of one body. And if all I ever care about is my elbow, well, the rest of my body is going to be really unhealthy and my elbow is not going to do too well, you know? And so that's the way the whole thing works. Now, here's the fear, that fear about when I covenant with the church, I don't know if I got what it takes, you know? I don't know if I have what it takes to be faithful in this relationship. I don't know if I can do that. Well, I mean, my knees were knocking when I was standing in front of Calvary Monument, you know, 15 years ago when we got married. Because I was like, I don't have what it takes. I know I'm about to tell you that I'm going to love you in better, for better or for worse. But there's going to be days where I am just not going to love you. You know, I'm going to want to love you. I'm going to wish that I had loved you. But I'm still who I am, which is like still really selfish and messed up. And I'm a sinner. And so how can I make that promise when I'm not going to, I already know I can't fulfill that. Well, because of God. Because of God. And so when it comes to joining a church, this is what we say. We say that when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And the covenant is not built on our faithfulness. It's based on the faithfulness of God, which is why baptism is not the first of the ordinances. It's the second. You know what the first one is? It's when Jesus took a piece of bread and he was sitting there at the table and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. This is the new 
covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. If you want to have a loving relationship with your family, if you want to be able to engage with your spouse, if you want the church to work, we got to be able to hold the standard of what it's supposed to look like, and we got to commit to it. But we also have to understand that that covenant is not based on our faithfulness and our baptism. It's based on the blood of Jesus. And it's based on his body broken and his blood shed. And the only way that I can covenant with you and commit to you and know that it's going to be okay is because I am faithless. I am faith. I am not faithful. I know that, but I can commit because I have faith that he is faithful. And where I am short, he will be strong. And that is the basis of the entire covenant. Not just the one where I can go behind the Holy of Holies and engage with him, but also the one where I can look at my brother Daryl and I can look at my sister Barb and I can say, I want to give myself to you in covenantal relationship in this church. Let's go after Jesus together. I know I'm going to bomb it, but I know he's going to take us there. Let's be okay with the fact that we're going to be angry at times, but we're going to sin not because he's going to help us. That's what it means to be a member in the body of Christ. Everybody get that? So, all right, this is what we need to do as we transition into receiving these new members. First, I need to show you, um, we have kind of a summation of what the scriptures say it looks like as the Spirit moves among us and starts to produce His faithfulness in us. What does it look like? What are the characteristics of, of members? These are not membership requirements. These are characteristics of people who are being sanctified by God. PFC members have received Christ's forgiveness and entered into a relationship with God and displayed it through baptism. Don't enter into the covenant unless there's the body broken and the blood shed. We only enter by God, so we have to trust Him as our Savior. Secondly, we come together over our beliefs, which are right on the wall right there, that we're the wayward children of God, we're forgiven and redeemed by God's grace, and we're being transformed into his power, into his char- by his power, into his character. And over there, we believe in the triune God, the authoritative word, the atoning. You can read it all over there, okay? Next thing. Oh, you already, you already got it. Yeah. You're so good. You keep... Being a step ahead of me, Cheyenne, thank you. PFC members are growing in a biblical lifestyle, relationships, and spiritual practices. We've made this, you know, as elders, we made this booklet for you to help you in your personal practices, shaped around up in and out. How do we engage God in prayer and in our reading and in our service and that kind of thing? And so we are pursuing God personally, and that is we each are engaged in the personal responsibilities. As members, we attend weekly Sunday morning worship services. Can't be a family if you don't get together. You know, and it's all about dad, and so our worship services are, are largely about him. In the regular family, it's not all about dad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in, in the spiritual family. <sighs> all right, next, uh, PFC members participate in basic PFC discipleship opportunities. The church has to be going after Christ. We have to be in the Word. We have to be in prayer. We do that together, and the ways we do that at Parker Ford, you engage if you're going to be a part of this family. PFC members intentionally connect with people in the church family. Again, it's about relationships, so we actually have to be intentional about those relationships. PFC members engage regular in regular intentional service in the kingdom of God. You've got to be a functional member, which means like those little Amish kids working, we all have stuff to do, and we all got to engage in some way. Encourage the idle. If you're not doing anything, find a shovel, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Jump in. Everybody on the wall, you know, that kind of thing. PFC members give a percentage of their income. 
Where your treasure is, your heart is also. You actually have to be invested. It's a big part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God is you got to be invested. If you're not regularly giving as a part of being a member here, you, it's not going to work well for you. you got to do that, okay? Um, PFC members honor God with open, honest, and kind church communication. There's a way we talk to each other too. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave us. Everybody understand? that stuff. These are not requirements for membership. These are what he is going to do in us when we make our covenant toward one another. These are the characteristics and what it looks like. So with that said, we have members who we're going to close out the service by bringing members on. Josh is going to introduce those members to you now, and then I'm going to walk us through a service for them, or a, uh, just a short service for them. Josh.